Would you bow with me, please? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing unto thee. May your spirit flow freely through everyone here, the speaker, the listeners, and the doers throughout the week. Lord, I pray that uh, as we see thy word and we compare it to our lives, we'll be convicted and we'll make the appropriate changes and we'll do it for love. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you'll bless us individually, you'll bless our family units, and you'll bless this church unit to the, your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On Wednesday, I was asked a current event concerning the commercial during the Super Bowl that raised quite a stir among Christians, and we spent the whole Wednesday night talking about it, which spurred today's lesson. So I'd like to take just a few minutes for those of you that weren't there on Wednesday and kind of go over what we talked about, and then I want to get to my main subject, talking about obedience. I believe obedience has kind of been left left off in a lot of people's minds and hearts. A lot of the fundamentalists think anytime you talk about obedience, you're a legalist. And the secularist thinks anytime you're not talking about love that you're hateful. And there's a blessing in obedience, and God has much to say about obedience, and I want to try to put it in the proper perspective. So I don't know how many of you watched the Super Bowl last Sunday night, but I did not. But what happened was is there was a commercial, and it was presented in a way just like any lie, to really get a lot of people to fall for it, there's got to be just enough truth embedded in it to catch you off your guard, and then, bam, there comes the hook. This particular commercial showed about 10 slides, give or take, of people washing other people's feet. And in the first, I'm not going to show you all 10 slides. i got a couple of them here I want you to look at real quick. And the first one is a police officer washing the feet of someone in the streets. And to that I say, amen. We need to go where people are. Another picture was, is they showed two people in high school, completely different side. You got one that's kind of preppy, probably a cheerleader. The other one's that's kind with a goth crowd and kind of got the wild looking clothes. And you show them washing each other's feet. And to that I say, amen. And there was a third picture looking at a man that went out and found a homeless man and you got him washing his feet. And the answer is yes, we need to go where people are at. Of these slides that I think are just fine and they kind of quicken us and encourage us to try to go and reach people where they're at. But there's a separation that occurs. There was a few more slides. And the next one is a woman that was an alcoholic. Now, what the advertisement was talking about is Jesus didn't teach hate. Jesus taught to wash feet. And to that, I say amen to an extent. And I want to qualify it, and I'll show you what that qualification is. So the next slide I want to show you is a woman that is an alcoholic. In this particular picture, she is on the floor. Her house is in tatters, and you'll see a couple empty open bottles of hard liquor there, and someone is washing their feet. And to that, I say, amen. You want to go to where a person's at, but I don't want to leave her there. There's a difference. I will go to the woman in this picture with a pot of coffee, but I will not go with a fifth of vodka. I don't want to leave them where they're at. 
And to do so is not hateful. Matter of fact, it is an act of love. That one seems pretty obvious. And I don't see anyone scowling their eyebrows or furrowing on their forehead at me yet. The next picture they had was they had a young lady coming out of a family planning clinic and the insinuation is here she just had an abortion. And with that particular place, someone came to her and there's her way out or on her way in. I'm not sure which one it is, but she's getting her feet washed. And to that, I say amen to an extent. We don't leave them there. I'll go back in my past. This happened a long time ago. You know, as a minister, you find yourself in all kinds of places. Sometimes you find yourself in jails. Sometimes you find yourselves in rehabilitation clinics. Sometimes you find yourself in, 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 in homeless shelters. Well, this one time I was visiting someone in a psych ward, and it was filled. This particular floor was all female, and there was like 40 or 50 women in there that had been placed in there because they tried taking their lives. And I was visiting one of the people there, and in the conversation I had with this lady, she made the observation. She said, every one of these women on this floor has had an abortion. I wish someone would do that study to see what the correlation there is. I don't know what it is. It's a very small sample, and I'm not going to make any conclusions. But to me, that was, wow. I think I shared with you also before, this was a long time ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, I had a friend of mine that was pastoring a church in another state, and he was talking to me, and, and he says, hey, can I get your advice? I've got this member, and started describing something. And he didn't tell me, he was being very evasive, he didn't tell me any details. He didn't even tell me if it was a male or a female. He was just talking in generalities. And he said, what would you do? And I said, how old is she? Is she about 40? And he got really quiet. How did you know it was a girl? How did you know she was 40? I said, did she have an abortion? Phone got quiet again. How did you know? I can't tell you how many people I've run into that somewhere at about 18 years after an abortion, the guilt hits that woman like a ton of bricks. It's like that's the age would have been out of school and would have been an adult, and it hits them like a ton of bricks. And he said, how did you know? I said, I didn't know. It's just happened so many times, it's just a high probability. Well, my point is, is we don't go and let a person stay there because the culture says it's good, you're making a choice, and guess 18 years later, the pastor's got to clean up the mess. So we don't let them stay there. We work with them. We'll love them, but we don't let them stay there. And then there's one more, and you've got the priest washing the feet of a sodomite. And these are the statistics you'll never hear on public television that the, the mortality rates are half, the incarceration rates are double, the addiction and alcoholism rates are double, the domestic violent rates are double, I'm talking within the couple, suicide rates, depression rates are through the roof. But we never tell them that. We don't let them stay there. We love them, but we don't let them stay there. Now what happens is I don't want our people to get sucked in to think there's only two positions. Either there's inclusion or there's hate. If you're not inclusive, then you're hateful. If you're hateful, you've got to be inclusive not to be hateful. And that is a lie. There is a third position in the middle where you love them, but you don't let them stay there. I want to show you one more picture. Now you're going, wait a second, that wasn't in the commercial. You're right, it's not in the commercial. That was in John 8. Do you recognize it now? 
This is Jesus Christ. And he's talking to a sex worker. And you know what Jesus Christ did to the sex worker? He loved her, but he didn't let her stay where she's at. You know what he said? He said, when Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, and he said unto her, woman, where are thine accuser? Those were those Pharisees. Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He made two comments, and I've shared with this you at least a half a dozen times over the last couple years. It took both comments to show love. If all he ever said is, is I don't condemn thee and let her win on that life, that very destructive lifestyle, that's not love. But to say just stop doing it and showing no compassion, that's not love. Love is both statements. To leave either one off is not love. And that's what this commercial has left off. Either you're hateful or you're inclusive, but no, there's a lifestyle better. So what Jesus was saying, he says, stop that lifestyle. And he says, stop it yesterday. There was urgency there. Do never, never get sucked into the conversation where someone misrepresents your position and you're defending yourself from that misrepresentation. Say, wait, stop. There's a third position that you're ignoring. And that's the Christian position. And here's the bottom line. He gets us, all of us. And to that I say, amen. You know why he gets us? We're a sinner. We're all sinners. And he gets us. That's why he went to the cross. And he still gets us, even though we are on this side of the cross and we've been paid for eternally, he still gets us because he knows the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak and we've got a battle every day of our lives. And he's on the right hand of majesty interceding for us because he gets us. He doesn't leave us in that state. With that being what we covered on Wednesday, I would like to talk to you about obedience. Obedience has taken a a hit on the chin. I want to show you that there are blessings in obedience. I want to start at the basics. There are three evidences of spiritual birth. The first one is, in 1 John 5.1, this is what it says. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him begetteth loveth him also is begotten of him. I want to focus on the first half of 5.1. It says, notice that there's the faiths, people that believe are born of God. It doesn't say get born of God or are being born of God. It says they are born of God. It's a completed action. This is an evidence of spiritual birth. But notice the language in the next verse I want to show you in 1 John 4, 7. It's the exact same language, but it's not talking about faith this time. This time it's talking about love. The language is identical. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. It doesn't say the people that love other people get born of God. It doesn't say they are getting born of God. It says they already are, and this is a fruit of that action that's already happened. Cause and effect. Now here's the one you got to hold your socks for. 229. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God. You're teaching work salvation. No, I'm not. The salvation happened before. Works afterwards is an evidence, just like faith is an evidence, just like love is an evidence. Doing righteousness is an evidence. 
He that doeth righteousness is born of God. I throw this out there simply to say all three evidences are pretty important. Now you're going to say, well, I got one out of three. That's all the evidences I need. Well, for eternity's sake, but while you're here on earth, you know what? You're going to miss out on a whole lot of peace. I want all the evidences I can have for his glory, not for my glory. Faith, love, and obedience. But you notice they're all there on an equal footing right now. In our current society, the fundamentalists kind of just think about faith and they ignore everything else. And the seculars think about love and they forget everything else. And the Pharisees and the legalists think about works and they forget everything else. Y'all, they're all important. They're all interconnected. But we just can't take obedience and throw it out the window. But if all I do is preach sin, I'm not preaching the whole counsel of God either. Three evidences of spiritual fellowship. This is all in 1 John. I want to read 4.15. I'm going to go with the, three, the same three. We got faith, we got love, and we got obedience. Faith, love, and obedience. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, notice what it says, God dwelleth in him and he in God. That is a spiritual fellowship. How does that happen? It happens by faith. Look at the next verse. 1 John 4, 12. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and the love of God is perfected in us. So if I love someone, there's a dwelling with God. 1 John 3, 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in God. I see it again. Faith, love, and obedience. They're all on the same level. We just can't take obedience and throw it out the window. We can't take disobedience and throw it out the window. And I know there's a time in the valley where disobedience was just sloughed off as well. God determined that to happen. No, we're not going to put sin in God's lap. Faith is the fundamentalist primary focus. Love is the secular's only focus. And obedience has fallen out of favor with modern Christianity. It's become legalism to the fundamentalist and hate to the secularist. Y'all, that's not what the Bible says. And I want to show you how important obedience is and what it gets us and what it does to God. There are blessings in obedience. And here's a verse that we just used uh, very recently. This is in Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man that which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. When you obey God, you're in a solid foundation that you can weather storms. And when you don't obey him, it's like your house is built on the stands and the storms will blow you away. So what's the blessing? You got a foundation to weather storms. How does that happen? By obeying God. Well, why wouldn't I go down to where someone's at and tell them that this life of sin is going to kill you and it's like building your house on sand. Let's build your house on a rock. Does that sound like an act of hate to you? Sounds like an act of love. Brother Osby has gone into prison dozens and dozens of times. I've been blessed to tag along just a couple he goes where they're at, but Brother Osby doesn't leave them where they're at. He tries to encourage them to go beyond. I go into the rescue mission. I try to get them where they're at, but I am not going to leave them where they're at. That's why they're homeless and in the rescue mission. I want them to go beyond, and I want to encourage them. And obedience is one of the ways you go on. Those laws that he's given is not to confine us. They're to protect us and guide us and direct us in a profitable way of life. James 1.25, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, 
He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man is blessed in his deed. Notice the people that obey God's word are blessed. Why would you not take a person that's down and out and tell them about the word of God? Because there's a blessing that comes with an obedience. Well, that's legalism. No, it's not. It's love. It's principles that will help guide your life. 1 John 2.17, the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There is a security, there's a spiritual relationship that you have that when you're in obedience, you have with the Lord. Earlier today, as you were all filing in, Sister Rhoda asked, I don't understand that. And I said, well, Sister Rhoda, let's go way back when your kids were still under tow and you had 12 or 14 year olds and you had a boy or a girl. And you said, would you cut the grass? And they said, well, I love you, but I'm not cutting the grass. Or I love you, but I'm not going to wash the dishes or do the chores you asked me to do. I said, what kind of love is that? Well, it's the same way with God. It's not a love. First John 3.22, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. God answers the prayers of people that are obedient. Don't get this wrong. Lord, help me hit the lottery. Don't expect a yes on that one. Amen? And one more. Revelations 22.14, blessed are they that do his commandments and they may have the right to the tree of life and enter in through the gates into the holy city. There is a blessing that comes with obedience. Look at this. He that doeth, the house will fall not. He that doeth is blessed. He that doeth abideth in God. He that keepeth commandments gets his prayers answers, and he that does enters into the gates of the city. There are blessings that come with obedience, and to share that is not a hateful act. It's an act of love. There is fellowship with God that comes as a result of obedience. Let me give you five more verses. Matthew 12 and verse 50. Notice what it says here. Jesus was in a crowd and the people were all standing around and they said, hey, your mother, your sisters, our brothers are here. And he says, those aren't my brothers and sisters. Notice what he says. Whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. What he's saying, I have a special fellowship with people that are obeying God. That's my family. It's not biological. It's spiritual. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. Notice with the person that keeps God's words, obeys his commandments, there's a fellowship with God. John 15, 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, there's a special blessing when you obey God. You're dwelling in God's love. And when you thumb your nose at God, God will step away and leave you to your own devices. I want them near. Hebrews 13, 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Obeying scripture is well-pleasing in God's sight. I want to please God. If nothing else, simply to say thank you for sending your son to die for me. Don't we want to share that? That's good news. And then one more, 1 Peter 2.15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Never had someone picking on you for being a goody-goody at school or work? You just continue on, it hushes them up every time. Don't get back, don't argue with them, don't call them names. Keep on obeying, and that'll hush them up. The person that does is Jesus' brother. The person that keeps his word, God abides with him. The person that does his will is well-pleasing in the sight, also puts to silence his enemies. 
I want to show you how love and faith and obedience are so interconnected. And they're so interconnected, it's really hard to split them apart. Let me give you a couple verses here too. First one, Matthew 7, 21. This is the one from last Sunday. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Is it a good thing to say, Lord, Lord, and call on God? Absolutely. But what happens when you say, Lord, Lord, and you're disobeying God? doesn't get that close fellowship. That's what that kingdom of God is. That's, that's that heaven on earth. It's that, that, that rich, full uh, fellowship with here on earth. John 14, 15. I don't know how you can show any more interconnection than this verse right here. If ye love me, keep my commandments. You can't get much more interconnected than that. How do you show love? Keep his commandments. How do you love your father? Do the chores he asks you to do. How do you love your mother? Respect and honor her and do what she asks. Romans 3.10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. See how love and fulfilling the law is all interconnected? James 2.20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works, faith without obedience is dead faith. Interconnected there. We just cannot connected love and keeping commandments, but this connects faith and keeping commandments. You can't separate the two. You can't say I'm a believer and ignore every commandment God says. You can't say I'm a believer and just pick and choose the commandments. That's one of those people that believe in God, but they don't believe God. First John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. I know, sometimes we see one of his commandments and say, oh man, I can never do that. Jesus, you mean you really want me to forgive my neighbor 490 times? There's, there's no way I can do that. Oh yeah, look at his score sheet towards you. And you think it's a no contest. I can do it. It's not grievous. We think it's murder. So they're interconnected. I found it interesting. Revelations 2 and Revelations 3, there's seven churches named. And six of those churches were actually in danger of losing their candlestick. I want to say five and a half were. One of them, he didn't say I'm going to take it away, but he gave him a warning anyway. He gave six warnings. Five of them were in danger of taking away. Did you know some of them lack love? Some of them lack faith and some of them lack obedience. Any one of the three were missing, that church was in danger of having it taken away. I don't know how else to say it. Obedience is pretty important on that magnitude. Let's look at them. In Revelations 2, 1 through 7, this is the church at Ephesus. And basically he says, I know thy faith and it's fantastic. And I know thy works and it's fantastic. You left your first love. They had a love problem and they were in danger of having the candlestick moved away. Oh, we know that. We know love's important. The second one listed is the church at Smyrna. This is 8 through 11. They had love and obedience but their faith was a concern to Jesus Christ. That was the warning he gave them. He says, your, your love is good and your obedience is pretty good, but your faith is a little bit shit. I'm worried about your faith. You need to shore that up a little bit. We know that's pretty important too. The next church, the Pergamos church, Revelations 2, 12 through 17, they had faith and love, but their obedience was a concern. And you know what their problem, the danger was? God was threatening to take away their candlestick. You mean obedience is just as important as faith and love? Yeah, there's those three evidences. We need all three of those evidences to fully appreciate and enjoy that rich fellowship with God. We can't just throw disobedience and say it doesn't matter. Christ's blood covered it. It did cover it eternally, but we're still looking on here till he takes us away and brings us home. 
And we want to glorify him with that obedience. Revelations 2, 18 through 29, this is the church at Thyatira. They had love and obedience, but their faith was a concern, like uh, the church up there in Smyrna. Fifth church we'll look at is the church of Sardis. They had faith and love, but their obedience was a concern, kind of like Pergamos. Yeah, but we have all the faith here, and we have all the love here. We're two out of three. What's the song, two out of three ain't bad? Not according to this. God was threatening to take their candlestick away. Biological child. Dad, I love you, and I believe you. I just want to do any of your commandments. And he goes, two out of three ain't bad, Daddy. And then the last one, Revelations 3, 14 through 22, the church at Laodicea, they had faith, but love and obedience was a concern. They had some, but it was a little bit weak, and God was concerned about their love and obedience. And he says, that is a danger, and you might lose your candlestick. Obedience is important. And if I got up here and I preached the counsel of God and I can go five years and you never heard the word sin out of my mouth, I'm not preaching the whole counsel of God. And chances are I'm robbing you of earthly blessings. Now, no, there's no chances about it. I am robbing you of earthly blessings, not reminding of your duty to follow the Lord. Now it gets to the nitty gritty. I'm going to ask some questions. King David was a pretty good guy. He was a fantastic worshiper of God. He sang hymns. He wrote hymns. He was a pretty forgiving God. That old King Saul tried to kill him eight times and he forgave him all eight times. He's, he's fantastic. But there's one place in his life near his deathbed, he was confessing. He says, with my house, it wasn't so. You know where he was weak? He was weak as a biological father. He was a horrible disciplinarian of his children. Children had gone wild and they were all teeing off into each other and there was a lot of conflict in there because he never went down and asked his children, why did you do that knuckleheaded thing? And I ask you, what cost David his children? Was it his faith? No. Was it his love? No. Was it obedience? Yes, he ignored all the fathering commands. And it cost him his children. Did it cost him eternity? Nope. It cost him peace in his family. What David needed, he needed a mentor or a good friend to pull him aside and say, y'all, you're losing control of your kids. You got to bear down on that Absalom guy. He's gone wild. Let's go to the next one. What cost Saul his throne? And you might say all of the above. Well, it probably was all the above. A, B, and C. Faith. Well, he started off faith really strong. Love. He started off with some love. It didn't stay too long. How about obedience? No, that's what got him in trouble. And then everything snowballed after that. Remember he said, destroy all the oxen, the sheep. And he came up and he says, well, the people made me do the offering. He disobeyed. And then all the other things parlayed after that. Y'all, obedience is really important. When we see a guy down on the bottom or a lady down on the bottom and we remind them of their duty towards God, that is not hate. It's love. Don't let someone con you into two positions. Either you're inclusive or you're a hater because that's not the Christian position. That's not what Jesus did and that's not what he would have us to do. We love them. That part of the advertisement is true, but all the advertisement and every lie has just enough truth to suck in. We want to go where they're at, but we don't want to let them stay where they're at. We help them bringing out to a more profitable situation. What cost Asa his peace? Now, King Asa is an interesting study. He's probably one you're not too familiar with, but he was a bang-up king for 38 years. It was those last two years that kind of got him. Well, we're singing the song, two out of three ain't bad. Isn't 38 out of 40 ain't bad? 
Well, he didn't finish very well. It cost him a lot of peace in the last couple of years of his life. How about the rich young ruler? It said, after his encounter with Jesus, it said he went away sad. Did he have faith? Yeah. Did he have love? I think so. He may have loved his assets a little too much. But what was the command God gave him? Sell your stuff. That stuff's a hobby horse. Oh, I can't do that. So maybe it was a little bit of obedience, maybe a little bit of love, the wrong kind of love. The obedience was at the core. How about Ananias and Sapphira? Remember that couple? They're the ones that sold their property, and then they lied and said they gave all the proceeds? You know, why did they do that? First of all, God didn't make them sell their property, and God didn't give, make them give them 100%. They sold it on their own, and they donated it on their own, but they just went and lied and said they gave the whole proceeds. He says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. They had faith, they had love, but you know what? That obedience, that lying is what got them in trouble. How about Zacharias? Remember, that's Elizabeth's husband, John the Baptist's father. Remember what happened? He's sitting there and he's praying, Lord, help my wife. I know she's past years. I know she's old. It's past the time of women for her. Lord, please, we want a children. And he's praying and he's praying. It sounds like he's a pretty faithful guy up to an extent. And then the angel says, okay, she's going to have a baby. And he goes, no. And he couldn't speak until the little baby was born. What cost him his faith? Obedience? Love? I don't know. I left the last one blank. So I don't know you. Even though I've been accused of having little listening devices in your homes after a sermon, because I hit the nail on the head more times than I know. But usually I'm just looking in the mirror preaching about myself, and I happen to get some of you too. But you fill in the blank. What cost you your blank? What cost me my blank? Was it my faith? Was it my love? Or was it my lack of obedience? My guess is it's lack of obedience way more than we want to admit to. See, we're good at picking the other guy's disobedience out. But our own, we got lots of justification for it. And that's what costs us. I enjoyed doing this study because... I got to see the rich fullness and the blessings that come with obedience. And in the culture we live, obedience and commandment keeping is really taking it on the chin. Discounted, it's discarded, it's made fun of. You get, ex you know, you're just illegal, you're just a, a Bible thumper, you're a pulpit pounder, you know, whatever it is, they're gonna call you names for doing that. No, to put you into mind a duty of obeying God is an important thing. And it's right up there with faith and love. We can't just ignore one and go for the other two because we'll miss out on a lot of blessings. I don't want us to focus so much on obedience that we forget the faith and the love. We can't go into those ditches. All three are important, and I'm trying to present it in a balanced approach. So let's go back to the first thing that we started with, that commercial. The commercial that was spit out is causing people to argue a lot. And, and, and there's a lot of Christian, good-meaning people that are getting caught with just two positions. Y'all, there is not just two positions. There's the third position. There's the one in the middle, and that's God's position. What would Jesus do? He would do the third position. Do not get caught in that being called a hater because you're not inclusive. You're not. By not being inclusive, by being in that middle place, you go to where they're at, you come down to them, but at the same time, you don't let them wallow there for the rest of their life. 
You have expectations to get them out because that's where their healing will come. If you love them, you'll look for them to grow and to heal, and that's what our objective is. It certainly is with our biological children, and it's with our extended family, and it is with our neighbors and our coworkers. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.